This is my Diet of Worms. You know, when Martin Luther was called before the Roman Catholic Church at the Diet of Worms in 15... He... 21. 1521. Of course you would know that. One, one of these dark suits is not like the others, let me tell you that. And... You know, I, I wonder, you know, he, it seemed that he kind of copped out. They asked him, will you recant? And he, he asked for a day before delivering the infamous, here I stand, I can do no other, in both Latin and German, so the people could hear it, so he couldn't be killed by the Roman Catholic Church. And I always wondered, you know, he was such a manly man, what caused him to just seemingly need to take a day? Well, first of all, he thought it was going to be a debate, so he wanted to carefully get his his answer constructed. But second of all, if you've ever visited the church in Worms, it's huge. And with all the big religious people around, he was probably scared and intimidated. And that's why this is my diet of Worms. I'm horrified to be here with these guys. Are you kidding me? I've seen this on YouTube for years, and now I get to be here. Very cool. I just want to let you know, What's going to happen today? I'm going to, there's going to be two sessions of Q and A and I'm going to try mostly today to be theological. And then tomorrow when we spend our time together, I'm going to try to be exceedingly practical. Now these two are going to bleed back and forth, but I know that you are like I am and you know some people who are perhaps stuck in this movement and you'd like to know how to go back and speak to them. What should you do? Where do we draw the lines? Associations? What if it's in my church? How do I respond? Predominantly, we're going to tackle that tomorrow with a little bit of it today. And you've also been submitting questions. You should know that many, many questions have come in. I have them right here on this phone. And we are going to try to tackle in big categories of many, as many of those as we can. But you should also know that Grace to You within the coming weeks is going to answer each and every one of your questions on the website. So be looking for that. Uh, Amazing indeed. By the way, if you've been at the conference and you've been detached from your telephone and you're missing Fox News because you're an evangelical, so you miss Fox News, uh, it's part of the deal. You get saved, you watch Fox, you get a gun permit. Okay, so you... (laughs) It's true, though, isn't it? It is true, yeah. I just saw that Fox News is reporting O.J. Simpson wants to become a TV evangelist. Uh, Take... No kidding. Uh, following after, apparently, his new favorite teacher, Frederick Price. So we can all look forward to that in about 28 years, when he is finally (laughs) sprung. All right. You're up to speed. (laughs) Are we ready? Sorry. Okay. This is the Strange Fire Conference. Uh, Next year, we're hoping for Strange Water to talk about baptismal regeneration. Is that correct? We can do that. We can do that. (laughs) So Strange Fire Conference... (laughs) <laughs> the Strange Fire Conference, I would, like to, I would like to tackle some words that we hear regularly in the charismatic community. And I'm going to use the term charismatic community in a very broad umbrella sense uh, initially because these are words that we hear a lot. And gentlemen, I'd like for you to respond. And I would like, to, I would like for us to interact with their ideas and their theology by showing clips of these individuals. And so for our, our department who's working on that, this is going to be clip number 16, and then we're going to see clip number 20. I, I want you, in case you haven't, I want you to see the things that have been spoken about, not for the purpose of laughing, because 
some of this is rather extreme and rather outrageous, but we want to interact with them in their own words. And the first word that I want to tackle is indeed the word fire. It's a word that gets used a lot in charismatic circles. And clip number 16 and then clip number 20 will show you that. Pick him up. <laughs> Look at me. Fire! In case you didn't know, this is Rodney Howard Brown, the self-appointed Holy Ghost bartender. This next clip is clip number 20. This is Jesus Culture, a group about whom you must know and will be talking about. But this is a concert that kids are going to in droves. Jesus Culture and the word fire. About 16,000 kids are in the auditorium right now. All right. Now that song, by the way, goes on for 17 minutes. The word fire, calling down fire from heaven, is a persistent theme that we hear. Theologically, do we want fire to come from heaven? In, in the context, and Justin can point this out too, a lot of the conversation is about feeling a burning, being set on fire, thereby calling the fire down from heaven. Theologically, how do we respond to this prayer to call down fire from heaven? I, I can only assume that they're, they're referencing Acts 2, taking an image that is tied to a larger context. The fire there is defined, as even we were talking about this morning, in clear and discernible ways. It, Essentially, ultimately, it was representative of the, of the Spirit's coming, and the Spirit's expression was in the gift of tongues for a specific purpose, to confirm the apostles, to confirm what he was doing, as R.C. said yesterday, in, in now bringing out a people for himself, confirming that the Jews were, in fact, going to be a part of the church. And so it's, it has a context, but instead it's, it's removed from that context and, and made to mean something just strictly experiential. Yeah, and again, the, that's an unrepeatable event. Pentecost, as we heard from R.C., Pentecost and then the subsequent uh, exact same reality occurs in those different people groups um, to, to somehow turn uh, Pentecost into this kind of mockery uh, uh, as if you could literally call down fire from heaven. Uh, is not only unbiblical, it's just folly, but it's more than that. It's manipulation. It, it's all about 
mind control. Rodney Howard Brown is a mind manipulator. From a human viewpoint, um, even more frightening is this demonic from a from a supernatural viewpoint. Um, fire came down from heaven, of course, in Leviticus 10 and consumed uh, the worshipers, consumed the ones who offered the sacrifice. That's the whole point of this conference. Um, John talked about fire baptism, John the Baptist, and that was judgment. I really don't... These people are so ah-biblical. They're so acquainted with words, Bible words without Bible sentences, Bible words without Bible context, Bible words without Bible doctrine. They throw the words around and they become means by which they manipulate people's minds. Uh, Fire is obviously an incendiary word. It it has all kinds of implications of heat and uh, power and energy and... I mean, that's a perfect word for them to use to manipulate people. The next time fire comes from heaven, it's going to engulf the world in judgment. Uh, God will not uh, drown the world in water again, but He will end the world in fire. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. It's going to be an atomic implosion, the uncreation, when the elements melt with fervent heat. Uh, That is fire from heaven. And I don't think anybody in his right mind would be calling down fire from heaven because that's, that's... Going forward, that is a judgment metaphor after Pentecost. You will be baptized by the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's, that's another baptism and that's a judgment. The second word that we hear a lot, this is going to be clip number 17, clip number 17. The word anointing is used a lot. And I would like for us to see how the anointing presumably is applied in a worship service where they are doing the, sorry y'all, the Holy Ghost hokey pokey and, uh, and, and applying the anointing. This is clip number 17, uh, the word anointing. And this goes on for a long time. Uh, He's anointing people. We hear a lot about different anointings. Uh, Could you please define for us, biblically, what is the correct understanding to be anointed, and can we be today, and if so, how? Do you want to say something, Justin? Sure. Well, Scripture teaches that if you are a Christian, you're anointed. If you have been regenerated by God's Holy Spirit, you are anointing. Uh, you are anointed. It is not a, 
It's not a feeling. It's not a buzz. It's not an experience. It's a reality. First uh, John 2, 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. This is, this is not for a select few. It's not that some Christians have a super special anointing that the rest of the common Christians don't have. Uh, that, is, that is a division of Christians into classes, the haves and the have-nots. You know, to say, oh, well, so-and-so is anointed. He has, he has a great anointing. If you're in Christ, you are anointed. And there, there's no division of classes within Christianity. We're all, we are one in Christ. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so this is a false understanding of a biblical reality. It's used to manipulate people. It's used to manipulate their, their emotions and their behavior. And it's also used to elevate the whatever false teacher you're looking at, elevate him to a status that is above everyone else. He has a different source of authority. He, he has a, a unique access to God, and he gets divine revelation knowledge from the Holy Spirit, from Christ, this pipeline from heaven to various false teachers. And that is, that is their way of insulating themselves against biblical criticism. Well, if you can't find this in the Bible, don't worry about it because I have the anointing. God has spoken to me directly. And so if you can't find it in Scripture, don't sweat it. It's okay. I've got the anointing. I've got this inside avenue to God. Regularly we'll hear we can't critique them because we can't touch God's anointed. Yeah. Touch nothing. The Lord's anointed. Yeah, I think what you have to understand and what uh, Justin's saying is the anointing is essentially the promise of illumination from the Holy Spirit to understand the Word. Right. And we all have that. Right. We possess not only the Word, but we possess the teacher and the author of the Word. That, that is the anointing. That's why we don't need to turn to human teachers. That's, that's the rest of that verse. We don't need to be taught from the vantage point of human wisdom. The anointing we have is the, is the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit which leads us to a true understanding of Scripture. Every believer has that. That, that comes with the resident Holy Spirit. We, we would not be able to live the Christian life if we couldn't understand the Bible. And we know the natural man understands not the things of God, they're foolishness to him. But we have the mind of Christ. Why do we have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16? Because the Spirit teaches us the deep things of God. That's the anointing. But you're, you're exactly right. They throw that word around. In kind of an Old Testament sense, like a prophet or a priest or a king was, was anointed in some official ceremony, as if they've been pulled up um, above the hoi polloi, and uh, they're, they're so elevated that they're beyond criticism. They have the anointing from God. Um, I think the other thing to say about that is, that is pagan. That kind of activity has nothing to do with Christianity. That is a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It is a mockery of the Word of God. It is a travesty to do that in the name of Christ. Uh, I don't know how those people survive the fire that should come down from heaven. Uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know how God can exercise as much patience as He does. And if you ever question the patience and forbearance of God, look at how long that stuff goes on. Why is God patient? Why is He forbearing? Because, listen carefully, because He has people in that movement yet to be redeemed. 
and, and He will rescue His people from that movement. Let me, let me, oh boy, this is going to hurt. I'm going to argue with you. <laughs> let, me, let me play advocate, okay? Sure. Uh, here's, here's, here's your problem. Uh, you like organs and cellos. This is our way of expressing ourselves in worship. Mm-hmm. Why would you judge something that is so clearly filled with the Spirit? Because it's just mindless, emotional hysteria. It's just hysterics. They, they, they have no thoughts. It's mind-numbing hysteria. It's not about worship. Let me, let, me, let me explain worship in a simple way. The deeper your understanding of the truth of God, the deeper your understanding of God Himself, the higher your worship goes. Worship is directly correlated to understanding. The richer your theology, the more full your grasp of biblical truth, the more elevated your worship becomes. You don't have to turn the music on for me to worship. Low understanding of God, superficial, shallow understanding of God leads to shallow, superficial, contentless hysteria. You can whip that up. You can create that kind of frenzy. It has nothing to do with worship. It isn't worship. It's not connected to worship. It is sheer hysteria and a mindless expression. You've been singing hymns this week. Why? Because there's rich theology in hymns. We, we don't have to go hysterical. We want your mind fully engaged. Hymns, I like hymns. I don't need to hear fire, fire, fire a thousand times. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need seven eleven choruses, seven words eleven times over. Uh, I need to advance the doctrine. I need to advance the richness. I need to deepen the truth and broaden the truth. And hymns have verses, not just five words repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated, but never really with the nuances of theology. So, um, yeah, I, that's not worship. That's not even Christian. That, that's no different. Than, than a rock concert. A lot of ways to manipulate people's minds, and they have figured out how to do that. So you're saying the theological depth of hokey pokey isn't <laughs> yeah, it leads what we're to looking that. for. Okay. Yeah. The next word I'd like to talk about is the word glory. The word glory is used a lot. Folks, this is going to be uh, clip number 18 and then clip number 21. Uh, my apologies, but this is about, this is John Crowder. To my surprise, he has grown in popularity. He's not one of the big boys, but he is. He continues to find access, as you will see, into churches. This is clip number 18, John Crowder experiencing the drunken glory. Oh, yo, yo, yo. I think I'm going to wreck because... You know, they, they say when you, you put two... Two users together. And see, when Winnie gets up here, and then you expect me to get up and say coherent words later, afterwards. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, dear Jesus. Oh, Lord. Hoi, hoi, hoi. Yes, Lord. I've learned a, a quick prayer. I'll teach it to all you really quickly. Okie dokie, Lord. Okie dokie. Mm. 
Lord, I love your heavy, drunken glory. Lord, I love it. Lord, thank you, Father, for more of a heavy, weighty, drunken glory in this house today. That's the drunken glory. This is clip number 21. This is a church we are going to be talking about in more detail. It's in Redding, California. I know we have some pastors here from Redding, California. This is a movement that is very, it's extraordinarily large. Uh, It's Bethel Church, and this is, uh, get ready, everybody. You're going to be in the presence of God. Clip number 21 is the glory cloud comes down from heaven or the ventilation system. Here's... That's it. You've just experienced the glory of God. Um, gentlemen? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's hard to even respond to that, isn't it? It's, it's mind-numbing. It's blasphemous. You know, it, I was thinking as you were showing the clip of Moses, and we were talking about him this morning as a prophet. He wanted to see the glory of God, and he wanted to have the glory of God declared to him. The glory of God is, I mean, the Hebrew word kavod, it's, it's what makes God weighty. It's what makes him uh, take our thoughts and drive us to the ground and, you know, worship. There's nothing weighty about any of this. It's, it's instead a blasphemy of him. And what does God do with Moses? He shows him a visible display of his glory, but he, he can't see the whole thing. He has to hide him. But, but the real display of the glory of God was when he proclaimed his name before him. It was propositional glory. It was the truth about his character. That's what's weighty about God. And this is just... Tom, I had a thought. If that was the glory of God, everybody in the building would be dead. Mm -hmm. That's right. Everybody. That's right. Even Moses couldn't look on the glory of God. The only way that the glory of God could be revealed in the world and people wouldn't die was when it was revealed in Jesus Christ and it was veiled in human flesh. And when, and when Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, God protected the, the, the disciples that were there and they only went into a coma and not death when they saw the glory of Christ. The veiled glory is manifest in Christ. We see the glory of God. I love 2 Corinthians. We see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. But it's veiled in Christ as it was veiled to Moses. That, that, that kind of folly, that's, doesn't get more serious than that. When you start tampering with the glory of God, um, and the guy before that, whoever he is, if that... That kind of behavior, if he, if he hasn't figured out how to do that and make that up, that's demonic. I mean, that's either him really adept at pulling that off or he's under some power and it's not the Holy Spirit. Um, before we go any further, I, I just think for the sake of fairness, Steve, if you could just <laughs> stay out of this yeah, for one of yeah, these questions. Yeah. <laughs> Let the other guys have a go. Jump in. <laughs> I'm saving it all for tonight. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, I'll hop in. The word glory 
is used basically in two different ways. There is the intrinsic glory of God, and there is ascribed glory. The intrinsic glory of God is the sum and the substance of all the divine perfections. It is all of God's attributes. It is the fullness of His eternal being. And there is nothing that we can do to add to the intrinsic glory of God nor take away from the intrinsic glory of God. He is the God who was and who is and who shall be forever. He is immutably the same from age to age. And it is the the sum of His holiness, His transcendence, His independence, His autonomy, His sovereignty, His righteousness, His truth, His love, His grace, His mercy, His omniscience, His omnipresence. All of the attributes of God comprise His intrinsic glory. There is ascribed glory, which is the glory we give to God, which is to render to Him the praise and the worship that belongs to Him alone. And the more we understand of His intrinsic glory, the more we will ascribe to Him glory. And so a low view of God leads to low worship, and a high view of God leads to high worship and high and holy living. So what we see here are people who have no knowledge of God or who have so little knowledge of God, they don't know enough to get out of. I mean, that was like a bad fraternity party. It's hard to even know how to, to respond to that. They don't even know what the word glory means. They have no concept. They, they have no truth regarding the, the glory of God. Yeah, and that, that first guy, I mean, he, he does have a strange spirit, a different spirit about him, small s. Gentlemen, if, if I could, without being annoying, which maybe we've already crossed that line, but... I want to bring this, I want to bring this way, way down for a moment, okay? Because I think that most of us see things like that and we just, because of theological training, we just look and go, well, that's just dopey. That's just dumb. But when you engage in a conversation with somebody who is into that movement, I need more than, well, that's, and it is, and that's how I want to respond. Equip me to, in a pithy way, respond to that to help them understand why it's Well, done. first of all, if they're in that, we may need to be sharing, or most probably need to share the gospel with them and, and bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I, I don't see how a, a, a born-again, converted, regenerated person right. would stay in that environment for two seconds, uh, especially given the anointing that we just talked about. I, I w- I'd be scared to even be in the building w- w- with that going on. Um, that, that somehow I'm going to end up being trafficking in some kind of dark, devilish um, uh, but Tell me spirits. why. Okay, so I'm, why? I'm, I'm in this. Okay, I'm, I'm in this. I like jumping around. I don't... Why? Why is this bad? David danced before the Lord. Why is this bad? It's mindless. It's atheological. Um, there, there is no Christ. I mean, John this morning uh, spoke of that first principle from 1 John 4, 2 and 3. It's a magnification of the true Christ. I mean, that, that's just responding to crowd control, as John said, mind-numbing music. Um, it, it, you're just whipping yourselves up. I think you have to be a little emotionally unstable to even want to be in 
that and to be pulled along into the vacuum of that. You know, the, the thing with David, <clears throat> David in response to the truth about God expressed himself physically. That's all that's saying. It's simply that with every faculty, every part of his body, every means he had humanly, he expressed his joy and his gratitude to God. Um, that's very different than that. And, and this speaks to an issue, Todd, that I think Steve nailed. This is why I believe that we are not dividing the body of Christ in this conference. We are trying to identify the body of Christ and show that these people aren't part of it. I think the big issue here, you know, uh, <clears throat> people have been hitting the Twitter thing all day, and it was kind of interesting. They told me today that it was the number one hashtag Twitter thing in the world, Strange Fire Conference. So that's pretty interesting. Um, in fact, <clears throat> I, I was told that we were several points ahead of Kim Kardashian. Ooh. <laughs> now we're relevant. Sweet. <laughs> so, but one of the... <laughs> one of the criticisms that coming is, this is divisive, these are our brothers, these are our sisters in Christ, they're not. Should we be happy about that? No, we ought to be heartbroken about that. If we want to talk about fire, then we need to talk about snatching brands from the burning. Uh, these people need to be rescued. And one of the reasons that we did this, there's two things in my mind driven toward this conference. One was the terrible dishonor of the Holy Spirit so that the reproaches that fall on Him are fallen on me. Um, zeal for your house has eaten me up, what Jesus said when He cleansed the temple. And secondly, the, the, the reality that these people are lost in this system and they're throwing the word Jesus all over the place. They don't know the gospel. They don't understand the gospel. So, you know, I got to thinking about that today and, and I decided that <clears throat> on Sunday morning here, I'm going to give a message on the true gospel and who's really saved because at the end of the day, this becomes the issue. And I will tell you this, that people can't be saved out of that movement until they hear the gospel. They can't call on the one they don't know. They can't know Him unless they hear it. Because this is such an important issue, I am certain with the people sitting here, they might say, Dr. MacArthur, though I know some people, and yeah, it's wacky and it's goofy, but I think they love the Lord and they're so nice, and they would tell you that they're actually a Christian. I want to um, take just a minute to tag along what, what John was just saying, is that this is very, very serious, and the people who are in this movement, the vast majority of them are not saved. And, and one of the things that, that so confuses and so blurs the line is that they use some of the same terminology, but the definitions behind that terminology are very, very different. It, it's not enough just to use the same lingo. It, how you teach it, how you flesh that out. And one of the things that honestly, and I'm going to, I'm about to blackball myself here. One of the things that makes, that makes it so hard to warn people about false teachers is when the, the good guys start associating with the bad guys. And 
And they give, they give these people, now what we've seen in these clips is, is extreme to be sure, but the, the same movement, this word of faith, charismatic movement, uh, the more, certainly the more um, as you drift towards the word of faith, one of the things that so confuses people, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard from people, and they ask me, well, what about so-and-so? I saw him with Paul Crouch. I saw him with uh, Marcus Lamb on, you know, on uh, Daystar and on TBN. It makes it very hard for us to warn people about the wolves when the leaders of the sheep are associating with the wolves. And they give them... Let me, Paul Crouch loves to have the good guys on his set, loves it, because the, the good guys give him a level of credibility that he does not have on his own. And Paul Crouch, TBN, Daystar, Marcus Lamb, these guys are the tips of the spears that are exporting this theological poison to the rest of the world. And that is an offense to the gospel. And these guys should know better. Hmm. It is a shame that prominent people, some of the supposed good guys, are breaking metaphorical bread with the bad guys. It's hard enough. Um, If if I could for a moment, because I have the gift of encouragement, Justin, um, don't worry. You've been blackballed for years, bro. Okay? (laughs) Nothing's changed. The fourth word. Okay. I I suppose I have. (laughs) The fourth word that I'd like to discuss is the word dominion. Mm. And this is going to get a little bit uh, theological, but because it's also eschatological, it also has end times implications. In brief, they believe that there are seven mountains in culture, politics, uh, society, family, the arts. And if... The new, from the new apostolic reformation, what do they, what do they call the kids? The new, the, uh, the new warriors of the Joel's army, the latter day. Yeah, they, they, they raise up these kids in the new apostolic reformation to conquer each one of the mountains of the seven mountains. And then as soon as we conquer the seven mountains, Jesus is going to come back. It's, it's a dominionist theology. This is from one of the few books that actually is critical of anything in the New Apostolic Reformation from Latter Rain Theology, which is also could be underneath the New Apostolic Reformation. If you don't know, there's basically three rivers. One is from Toronto, where the Toronto Blessing happened. In Kansas, it's IHOP, not the Pancake Store, International House of Prayer. And then the third river, which flows together into an ocean of sewage, is out of Bethel, uh, the, in the Bethel Church in Redding, California with Bill Johnson. Those are the three streams that form the New Apostolic Reformation. Uh, gentlemen, the church must be restored and equipped to rule. It must come to perfection. Out of the purified church will come a spiritual elite core, a corporate Christ who possesses the spirit without measure. They will purge the earth of all wickedness and rebellion. They will judge the apostate church. They will redeem all creation. First of all, very attractive to young people who want something to do. You can comment on that if you'd like, but I would like you to focus on dominion. How do we biblically take dominion? What are the eschatological implications of this, and where are they going wrong? That's post-millennialism, that we're going to usher in the kingdom 
um, by making the world a better place, and once we have restored the earth under the dominion of the gospel, then Christ will return at the end. And that is certainly contrary to what we read in the Word of God. I mean, we see that it will be desperate times at, at that period before Christ returns, not better and better. Worse and worse. It'd be worse and worse. And so they, they really have it totally backwards. Um, we cannot usher in the kingdom until the King comes back, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Um, and if you read the New Testament and try to see that we are to restore dominion in arts and media and, and all of that, I mean, they, they would, that was laughable in the first century. Like, okay, they're going to restore these different dominion hills in the Roman Empire. I mean, they're just trying to survive for their life and escape being martyred to death. Um, it, it's just a false eschatology. Mm-hmm. I don't think it starts with a false eschatology. I think it starts with a madness, an egotistical madness that you actually think you have the kind of power that could pull that off. And if you tell yourself that long enough and you get enough people to buy into it, it it gets a life of its own. And I I think it is just a way to dupe people. And we all know how young people are interested in social justice and how Christianity is even evangelical Christianity, non-charismatic, has turned away from the gospel. Why has it turned away from the gospel? If you go to a, a, a place that's been through a difficult time, you go to New Orleans after a hurricane or whatever, and you start reaching out to people, if you go and sit them down and say, let me tell you why you need to come to Jesus Christ because you're a sinner and you go through the gospel, what kind of reception are you going to get? You're probably going to run out of the house. It's going to be very difficult. People aren't going to buy in. But show up with food. Show up with clothes. They will love you. They will embrace you and say you're doing this in the name of Jesus. That kind of stuff is easy. What's hard is the gospel presentation. Well, I think they've captured some of this uh, desire to change the world, which is always appealing to young people, and that's who you see in these things, young people. And with a kind of crazy megalomania and a kind of a vast overestimation of the power that they have. Um, they, they define their eschatology. I don't think it comes from studying the Bible and coming up with a post-millennial view. I think it, it comes from egotism gone mad, and it may be aided and abetted by Satan uh, himself. If you read about the NAR, you, you, you know, they, when Rick Perry was running for president and he ended up at a bunch of NAR, New Apostolic Reformation, by the way, it, it is basically built on the fact that there are apostles today. Peter Wagner's the leading apostle, but you can be an apostle. I think it was 600 bucks. You could be an apostle. (laughs) And you send your money to Peter, and he sent you a certificate saying you were an apostle. So they had, uh, they had divided the state of Texas, if you remember, into, they'd taken every county in Texas, and they had started to take dominion over every county in Texas. And the big prayer meeting that Rick Perry attended was a prayer meeting of all these dominionists trying to take over Texas. And they came up with crazy things like little demons and all, all kinds of stuff. Uh, th- there's a sense in which this is just egotism gone mad. And uh, there's also a sense in, in, in which may, it may be literally the, the kingdom of darkness uh, behind it all. 
but, but Steve, Steve is exactly right in saying what the Bible says is the world gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and Jesus comes and judges the entire world in a judgment that parallels the flood in Genesis, only it's by fire and not by water. You know, the, the passage that immediately jumped to my mind, John, when you're saying that is, is out of Daniel. We hear about the kingdoms that are going to exist, and they're going to be all human kingdoms. They're described later in Daniel, of course, as these vicious animals. That's what the world is going to be. And then one approaches the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, and to him is given, given the kingdom. Yeah. I, I think that you, you've answered this most certainly in part and perhaps in whole, but why else do you suppose so many young people are drawn to that, to being a forerunner generation. I, I don't think it has anything to do with what they're saying for most of them. It's the music. It's all the stuff. They're, they're, they're liberated. It's like getting drunk. And it's like going out and just getting bombed so you don't have to think about the issues of life. Shut down the music. Totally shut down the music. Turn on all the lights. And they all need to be white lights, just like normal light bulbs. Just turn on the lights, <laughs> shut down all the music, and have some guy get up there and try to sell that. Yeah, it's not going to work. <clears throat> you got to have some way to manipulate their minds and turn them into zombies. And that, that's the very reason uh, all of the healing crusades that I've ever been to, and I've, I've been to more than I can count almost, but they've always got the music going. It's this extended, repetitive music that lulls people into what's essentially like the first stage of hypnosis. You've altered your, you've disengaged your mind, you've disengaged rational thought, and this emotionally driven music and people become more susceptible. And there are a lot of psychosomatic healings. That happens all the time at Benny Hinn Crusades. But what you don't see are organic healings that people are actually bona fide, medically documented heal. That does not happen. But people are very... Um, very susceptible to this emotionally driven music. It goes on and on, like you said, for 17 minutes. Those can all, I, can and none I of this add, stuff add a would note work to that, without Jeff. the music. You're not going to find that kind of music in a Reformed church. You won't find it. Why? Because that's not who they are. They're, they're going back to the Puritans. They're going, they're going back through Martin Lloyd-Jones. They're going back through Spurgeon. They're going back to Calvin and Luther and Athanasius and Augustine and the apostles. And their, their, their world is sound theology, Bible exposition, serious worship, love of God, obedience, discipline, order. That's their world. This is a completely different stream. This is the world invading the so-called church and carrying it away with things that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God and nothing to do with the history of the church and nothing to do with sound doctrine. You know, you look at the New Testament and you see two groups of people, you know, those who are in Christ and those who aren't, and always what you find is that those who aren't in Christ are driven by their feelings, their emotions, they're driven by their, their body's appetites. And those in Christ are driven by their minds, by their understanding of the truth. Over and over again, you hear, this you know, or you need to know this. It's, mm -hmm. it's the mind for us in Christ. And there's nothing, there's nothing about the mind in but, any but of But the attraction is the same thing in a, in a bar. It's, 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 it's the same kind of thing. It's sensual, sensual experience that disconnects you from the realities of life. If, if I could... Uh, and Dr. MacArthur, I'm going to let you determine when this is going to stop, because I realize this is going to be very painful, but I, I chose, 
if you would be so kind in the booth, to prepare clip number 19. Clip number 19, this is Jesus Culture. Jesus Culture is the worship band out of Bethel Church in Redding, California. They do concerts all over the world. They sell up 16,000 seaters like that. Most likely, kids in your church have Jesus Culture music on their iPads. Almost certain that they're listening to it in their earbuds. Now, I, I brought three minutes, three minutes of a 15-minute song, and I, I, let's endure this for as long as we can because it's one thing to say that it's hypnotic and repetitious. I think it's another thing to see it. So we will watch this until either we all pass out or... <laughs> works. Or Dr. MacArthur says... Enough, I can't take it anymore. All right? (laughs) This is clip number 19. Jesus culture asking to be filled up with something. Clip number 19. about a minute yeah. and that was 12 fill me ups uh, this is wildly popular now this is the tricky part some of the jesus culture music is passable i'm a parent my child loves it am i concerned yeah, absolutely you're concerned i mean it's Obviously, you know, it's the old clock that doesn't run is right twice a day. If they, if they aren't ever, if they don't ever do anything that is acceptable, then you're not going to buy into what isn't. I mean, it's, it's, it's just the, the grease slide. That has nothing to do with Christianity, nothing to do with God. In fact, I'd be afraid to put my mind out, uh, in neutral and start yelling out loud with that kind of sensual music, fill me up, fill me up, fill me up. Uh, among a group of non-believers who would go from being kind of normal non-believers living in the kingdom of darkness to being demon-possessed. I think you're you're inviting a spirit for sure, but it isn't the Spirit of God. And it it has nothing to do with Christianity. Again, this this is paganism. This this is the kundalini cult. You can look on the YouTube and see that kind of stuff. This is paganism. This is what Hindus do. Uh, The mindlessness of this uh, has... Uh, and, and I think if you accept any of it, if you say, well, there's some good in it, you, you literally have left your young people open to, I think, to, to demon powers. I, I, I would run from this Look, so fast. I, I, this maybe sounds silly to you, but I, I see this stuff and I experience this stuff. They've got a few songs. They maybe have 50 songs. And there's a couple of them. There's nothing bad in them. 
And people will just say, well, that one's okay. It doesn't hurt anything. Does it hurt anything to bring their music in any way, shape, or form into my church, into my home, into my kids' earbuds? Well, the... Go ahead. No, go ahead. The, the music is just an avenue to get them into their teaching. The music is popular, and what they're wanting to do is they're wanting to draw people in. Oh, we've got good music. Uh, Jesus Culture, Hillsong, we've got good music. So we'll, they use that as an avenue to get people into their teaching. And Mormons do the same thing. Mormonism doesn't, uh, Mormons don't approach you with a full-bore list of all of their heresies that they believe. They look very normal. They look Christian. They look very nice, and they suck people in. And it's the same thing with this. It's to, it's to draw people in to their belief system. And it's sad that today theology and doctrine have almost become bad words. Uh, what we just saw there, that is a mark, supposedly, of spirituality. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a high mark. You're spiritual if you can, but it's, it's totally opposite. I, w- I would go so far as to say evangelical non-charismatic churches are using music that is unacceptable to draw people in. Right. Um, they're, they're using the music of the world to suck people in as if... Somehow people would get saved because the music of the world is attracting them. It's a big jump between being attracted by the music of the world and being regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and the two have no connection. So I I think this this is so close to what's in a normal evangelical environment. This is so close to what people see in non charismatic quote-unquote evangelical churches, that it's a very small step to getting sucked in because the style is the same. Uh, but the theology inherent in it, as Justin says, is, is un, unbiblical. All right. I want to... Um, you know, Todd, one other thing, too. Just the theology of that little course is wrong. We're not filled up with the Holy Spirit as though we get more of the Holy Spirit. The whole right. issue is the Holy Spirit gets more of us. And so it's totally reversed. In Ephesians 5.18, we are to be filled by the Holy Spirit, not filled up with more of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And it is a, it's a total wrong, you know, pneumatology of understanding of how the Holy Spirit works in sanctification. And, and as if that is what you need to do in order to be filled by the Spirit, is just keep repeating that over and over. Yeah. No, in reality, you need to die to self. You need to resist temptation. You need to mortify the flesh. You need to have the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. Those type of things, buffet your body and make it your slave. Those type of things really are the precursors to being filled by the sp- confessing sin repenting, turning away from the world, loving Christ, those are the things that accompany being filled by the Spirit. That's a great point. That's excellent. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me take you to Bethel Church in Redding, California. This is clip 22 for the booth, clip 22. Uh, we're going to return to the word fire, but this is Bethel, and I, I want this to lead us into more conversations about the kids who are typically attracted to this. This is a fire tunnel at Bethel Church where you are, well, I think getting the fire anointing, feeling the glory, all of it kind of coming together in a fire tunnel. This is clip 22 at Bethel Church.
Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I want to explore more of that, but in general, uh, we've got pastors sitting on the stage. Pastorally, how grievous is this? It's shocking is what it is. I mean, you look at that and you think how we live for the glory of God. We live to teach the Word of God and to see him denigrated in such a way, to act like that is appropriate. My mind goes immediately to the first two commandments, first being you're not to have any God but the one and only true God. But secondly, the second commandment isn't primarily about having idols as opposed to the true God. It's about having a wrong uh, kind of worship, a, a human-created worship of the true and living God. That's what the second commandment is about. Ultimately, out of that came the regulative principle and the idea that we don't get to decide how we think God ought to be worshipped. We don't get to create that. We are shaped by what the Scriptures themselves teach. You come to the New Testament, why do we do what we do in corporate worship? I I remind my congregation this often. When we come to worship God, we don't come to decide, okay, we're going to do this because we like it or we think it's, you know, it's popular, it's going on in other churches. We do these things because they're prescribed by the New Testament for corporate worship. You don't find that prescribed for corporate worship in the New Testament. Everything is word-driven. We sing the word, we pray the word, we, we read the word, we preach the word. Everything is ultimately word-focused, and there's nothing that's word-focused there. It's, it's idolatrous in the, in the sense of the second commandment. It's a, it is probably also a violation of the first commandment, but surely a violation of the second, even if they perceive the true God as he's required. Closely related to the regulative principle or the normative principle, how we go about worship, here is one of the most often repeated responses to what you're saying. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that the Holy Spirit cannot do that. I know you maybe find it to be strange, but the Bible does not say that the Holy Spirit cannot knock people over, cause them to be drunk, cause them to bark like dogs, or run around on fire. Therefore, who are you to put the Holy Spirit in a box? My response is God put the worship of himself in a box in the second commandment. And we have to respect that box. You don't, get to, you don't get to live outside that box because you want to. He set the standard. He set the fences. All right, but well, There are just two, two ways. Uh, you either have a direct mandate as to how to worship in the Bible or you have a model for it. I mean, there, there can be elements of worship that are commanded. Um, Paul says to Timothy, uh, read the Scripture until I come. Read the Scripture. Okay, that's, that's part of what it means to worship. Uh, you also have... Uh, examples of what went on in worship. They're regulated. They're regulated in First Corinthians, right? You're doing this, you're doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this, do this. So you, you, you have illustrations of teaching the Word of God. And this is one of my favorite exemplary principles. Teach the Word of God till people are so tired they fall out of the window and die. Raise them from the dead. <laughs> Bring them back and keep teaching. <laughs> so, but you either have prescription uh, for how to worship, or you have examples of how to worship. You can't find in the Bible people barking, falling over, flopping. The only people who were ever slain were unbelievers who were knocked over by the power of God. There is no illustration of any believer ever being knocked down, ever barking like a dog. 
So the burden of proof isn't on that. I mean, that's the cheesiest argument there ever is. Since the Bible doesn't forbid that, you know, uh, why can't we allow the Holy Spirit to do it? But it is consistent with their entire view of revelation because they will not prescribe themselves to the fact that the end of the New Testament was the end of divine revelation. So if God is still speaking and still talking and and most amazingly talking to me and giving me impressions and revelations, then of course who's to say we can't bark and and we can't uh, squirrel around and wiggle and dive and jump and yeah, because you know, hey, revelation's still going on and it's it's now coming through me. Uh, so there's no restraint on anything. All right. I, I, I want to, because cheesy as it is, that is one of the battle cries. Well, Dr. MacArthur, the Bible nowhere says that there should be an organ in the church and you should sing hymns with four-part harmony. Well, I think the Bible does tell us explicitly in the Old Testament um, that we are to use instruments in worship. And that, uh, in fact, just the, the panoply of instruments is, is throughout the Psalms. And I don't think the New Testament cancels that out at all, and I think you can even show that from the words in Ephesians as well. But we do have that. An organ is just another instrument. It's a, it's a wind instrument, if you will. If you want to go back before there were electronic organs, it was a wind instrument. Uh, other wind instruments were used in the Bible. The pipes and horns were wind instruments. This was a mechanical way to push wind through horns. That's what an organ was. And I think the, the, the reason that historically the church found its way to organs and instruments was because they were following a biblical pattern. And that biblical pattern was, as you see it in Psalm 150, to take every possible means there was and everything that has breath should be used to praise the Lord. So um, whatever it is. And I even think guitars can be used to praise the Lord. I'm not against that. Modern electronic instruments, um, but I think they, they are only accompaniment. How can I say that? I think the primary uh, praise that God wants in His ears is not instrumental praise, that instrumental praise aids the people of God in their praise. And I think when you go to many churches, you sit in the dark and this massive uh, electronic explosion of sound overwhelms you. But people in those churches don't know what congregational singing is. They can't hear themselves, let alone the people around them. This is the the other stream that I talked about, and and I'm going to show two clips pretty closely here. This is clip number eight and then clip number six, clip number eight and then six. This is the International House of Prayer. This is, again, Mike Bickle up in Kansas. And I want you to see a young lady who visited their ministry for training, for equipping, and um, we'll then try to figure out what's going on here and what's happening to this young lady. This is clip number eight from IHOP. When the awakening broke out, we were made to come here. You were made to come here? Well, not on the Wednesday. We all came because it was our Sabbath, and we were all excited. So we came to see what was going on, and I've never seen anything like this before or even heard about it, and I didn't know that the Lord could work like this. Um, so you never did this kind of thing before? No. Had you ever seen it before? Mm, no. you never seen this kind of manifestation of the Holy Spirit that you're now experiencing? Mm, yeah. No. Ne- no, you never had. No. 
And then she haven't stopped shaking since she's been on the platform. Mm. Before the platform, she was sitting over there shaking for the last two hours. Yeah. So this is all like the last two months. This is brand new to you. What the Lord is doing. Yeah, I grew up in a Methodist church, and uh, so did I. By the way, I grew up in a Methodist. So church. did I. Mm. <clears throat> by the way, at the uh, at the International House of Prayer, there's a room where they are perpetually praying, 24 hours a day. Again. Uh, eschatology involved. Now, you've been mentioning, Dr. MacArthur, the Kundalini uh, part of Hinduism. Andrew Strom happens to be a charismatic, and he put together a very concerned expose on what's going on. This is clip number six about Kundalini. Now, this all began with Rodney Howard Brown imparting a new anointing into a bunch of leaders, and they spread it around the world. In fact, it spread like wildfire. How do we know that Rodney Howard Brown had a pure anointing? How do we know it wasn't a kundalini spirit from the beginning? Because it seems absolutely identical to it. Now, one of the very clearest signs of a kundalini awakening has always been these kriyas. You see this woman involved in the New Age movement. She's walking along exhibiting these kriyas happening in voluntary uh, jerking motions. And the staggering thing about it is that we are seeing again and again and again these exact same type of kriyas right through the Toronto movement. This has always been one of the clearest signs of Kundalini that we know of. And then he shows uh, the Kundalini cult in India doing the exact same thing. Has a whole range of those experiences. Uh, now my heart goes out to that young girl, and because if Satan would want to cloak himself in a in a most convincing way, he'd put himself in a pretty young lady like that, that first girl. Uh, at at IHOP. Uh, by the way, their history isn't uh, admirable, as you know, and we write about that in the book. Bob Jones, the primary guy there, Paul Kane, who's associated with them. Who, um, but th- I mean, that's the way Satan would want to dress himself in another young woman walking down a road. To, um, you know, I, 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 it's my sense that if Jesus were around, he would do with those two women what he did in the synagogue with the demon possessed person. And he would cry out to that demon and call that demon out. I mean, I, I don't know that, but I, I, that would be my suspicion that somebody who says this has never happened to me before hasn't learned how to do that. Like people kind of learn how to speak in tongues. Uh, that's a very frightening thing. Um, you know, it's just so sad to think of a place that says it represents Jesus Christ literally inducing people into the kingdom of darkness in these kinds of experiences. And now I want to say one other thing. I don't believe that can happen to believers. I don't believe that can happen to a Christian. So what we're talking about again is backing up to this reality that this thing is full of people who throw the name of Jesus around and have jumped into the experience because they have spiritual needs and anxieties and they want to belong and they want to be a part. And and it's it's a powerfully overwhelming experience like they've never had in their lives which exposes them to Satan. But to do it in the name of Christ, on the one hand, is tragic. On the other hand, is not surprising because Satan is disguised as an angel of light. I remember up uh, in the other building when I first came to Grace Community Church, talking to a woman, and demons started talking in different voices to me 
as I was talking with her, and this one demon, I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just a kid. It was only here maybe a year. And this demon kept, I, I said, who are you? And he said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Kept repeating that. Uh, this particular girl flipped a desk. That's how much strength she had. Uh, I, I knew I wasn't talking to Jesus. I knew that. Um, so if Satan can make people think that this is Jesus, that's the ultimate deception. As, uh, as, as we close, if I might, what, I think what we've seen, and we need to understand, this is not a fringe activity. No. This no. is millions of people in the U.S. of A., millions more around the globe. And while I believe this is correct, these teachers and these leaders, these false teachers and wolves, are to be rebuked and they are to be called out. The people that are following predominantly are simply slaves to sin. They're slaves to Satan, and they are lost just like we were. And as we see this, we are grieved by it, and that I think as we focus tomorrow on trying to figure out how to respond to this, might I suggest it begins with making sure that we're evangelizing as Amen. many people Amen. as we can with the gospel of Jesus Christ, because these people are just lost. Yeah. All right. So with, with that thought in mind, that these are, these are just, they're, 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 they're slaves to sin, they're slaves to the devil. Dr. Lawson, would you pray for us, please? Yeah. Father, it's hard to know how to even respond to what we have just seen other than, Lord, we are so grateful that You have made Yourself known to us through Your written Word by Your Spirit, mm. and You have caused us to be regenerated by Your Spirit. And we praise You and give You thanks that You have rescued us out of the kingdom of darkness and have transferred us into the kingdom of light, and that You, by Your divine initiative, have made Yourself known to us, and the truth has set us free. Mm. Father, I, I, I pray that You will use us to rescue mm -hmm. people who have been made in Your image, who have been marred and corrupted by sin, who have become slaves of Satan, bound in chains of darkness. Lord, I pray that You would use us and use others in the preaching of the gospel, which is Your power unto salvation, that You would sovereignly overcome their resistance and that You would bring them to the saving knowledge of Christ. Mm -hmm. Lord, I pray that You would give much wisdom to pastors, to elders, to spiritual leaders to know how to give counsel to people in their flocks, to know how in the preaching of the Word of God to even make right and proper, to show implications from the text of how to unmask 
all of these deceptions and these lies and these forgeries. Lord, again, it just seems that You're giving us over, uh, as in Romans 1, and gone beyond even giving us over to homosexuality, but now giving us over to a reprobate mind whereby we cannot even reason and think our way back to You. What we see here is just insanity. It is, it is lunacy. It is irrational. It is illogical. It is mind-numbing. And so, God, we pray that You would have mercy upon so many people like this. We pray that that the preaching of the Word of God would go forth with renewed power. We pray that Your people would be yet further armed with the, the full armor of God and advance into this world and to be able to be used by You to um, reach people for Christ. Mm-hmm. Lord, give us discernment. Give us penetrating insight. Let us not be caught up in really the, the, the emotional uh, pull and the, the crowd uh, appeal and pull. Uh, give us eyes to see, give us ears Amen. to hear. And Lord, I pray that, again, You would help us to identify the church, help us to identify true believers, and may we be fortified in the truth and then be able to reach those who are in dire and desperate need for the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, we do take great comfort that greater is He who is in You than he who is in the world. We do take great comfort that the darkness will not extinguish the light, but that the light will extinguish the darkness. So I pray that we would be armed and gird our loins with truth and that we would shine forth the light. We would not be uh, a lamp hidden under a bushel but that we would shine forth the light into the darkness of this world and that it would please You, God, to move in a saving, redemptive way in the lives of so many that um, are caught up in this false movement. So God, we plead with You that You would do this, that Your name might go forth that Your glory might be properly and rightly put on display. Father, we pray this in the name of the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.